Welcome back to the Theology of the Buddy podcast, podcast for Catholics who love tradition and want more of it. This is episode 46. My name is Chris. I'm joined in studio <laughs> with my great and fabulous co-host, Mike Strauss. Oh, thanks. <laughs> and uh, today on our show, we have a very special guest, a return guest from season one, Billy Griffith! <laughs> Hello, everybody. <laughs> Uh, awesome. So yeah, on today we're uh, we're going to be talking about trads, Trump, and what was the third one? Trads, uh, Trump, and we need another T in there. Yeah, yeah. Trads, Trumps, yeah. And trads, Trump, and theosis. That's what I said. Okay, that's a T, kind <laughs> of. Yeah, I would have gone with trampolines. Trampolines. Wow, you jumped to that. Yeah. Idea. Welcome, Billy. Ooh, we should definitely Cheers. bounce from that topic. <laughs> yeah. We uh we are partaking of the traditional whiskey for theology, oh. buddy. Yeah, I just have my LaCroix sparkling water here. Uh, um because oh. because Lent. <laughs> you don't know how badly I want a drink right now though. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, don't you mean La Croix? Le, uh, yeah, well, uh, American. LaCroix. <laughs> LaCroix. La That's how Americans La would say it. Isn't yeah. that a rapper? LaCroix. Oh, Probably. LaCroix. 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 Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Just drinking some LaCroix <laughs> carbonated water. We're getting right mm. into the topic of America. America, for and sure. And. The important things, yeah. French pronunciations. That's right. So, speaking speaking of uh, America and whatnot. So, essentially, why I wanted to get Billy on the podcast this week um, has been. I mean, we just passed Super Tuesday. I don't really know what that is. We're Canadians. So, like, we we kind of have a outsider view of what's happening in the United States. Um, but Billy has been sharing a lot of incredibly uh, great points on his Instagram. And I, I'm like, this guy's way smarter than I am with regards to American politics. But he's saying a lot of things that I have kind of observed and just... Yeah, and just knocks it out of the park. Um, but also, like, I don't know, like, I've had a lot of questions. And, like, I would, as a Canadian, want to kind of better understand how, like, what your view is of what's happening in the States. And, yeah. So, I, I know, I, one of the things I was thinking about was, like, for us as Canadians, we've almost gotten used to the idea of the, uh, I don't know what you want to call it, like a fake Catholic, a bad Catholic, so like in, in political office. So, for example, you know, Pierre Elliott Trudeau, Pierre, Pierre Elliott Trudeau, the father of Justin Trudeau, our current prime minister. So Pierre Elliott mm -hmm. Trudeau uh, in the 80s, I think it was in 86, um, legalized abortion 
from like without without any restriction yeah so but roman catholic um and proceeded that sunday to be able to receive communion uh Mm. justin trudeau in like manner has you know supported abortion uh he has you know pushed for uh the lgbtq blah 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 agenda uh, in Catholic schools has really been pushing mm. for uh, really like just heterodox ideas. Um, and like, this is kind of what we've been used to down mm. here has been the, the guy who, who waves at the camera and says, yes, I'm a Catholic. And at the same time does the very opposite of what his Catholic faith teaches. Um, and even like in more recent uh, times, more recent memory, um, Tanya Granick Allen. Mm-hmm. Um, so Tanya Granick Allen was was vying for um, the premier of Ontario, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, a a very pro life organization known as Right Now. Um, and I'm not trying to throw shade at at those guys, um, but they worked really hard to try to get Tanya Granick Allen into uh into the premier spot um but like in order to do that you had to order you know the different candidates on your ballot and so tanya was first doug ford was second um and doug ford ended up taking it only because of really the work that uh, the people at right now and those who got involved with their, you know, boots on the ground campaigning, you know, door knocking, blah, blah, blah. Only because of that, uh, because she essentially was, was number two in the vote. And, um, in the end, what happened was Doug Ford got into power and what within a week, Tanya Granick Allen was kicked out of the conservative party because of her conservative wow. Christian views. Oh my so, you know, so, I mean, still a little stingy over that, yeah. but yeah. we've had a few betrayals too. like, don't forget Andrew Shear on the federal yes. level. Yes. He was the conservative candidate in our most recent, uh, election. And he is, uh, a Catholic father of five with a hundred percent pro-life voting record. So hmm. going in, everyone was just like, this is our man. He's gonna, he's gonna stand up for us finally. And yeah. what does he do at uh, the run up to the election? He starts to promise, "I'm not gonna open any abortion related legislation whatsoever." Wow. Oh. So yeah. and predictably, he lost because as soon as he said that, yeah, all of us were like, "Well, screw you! I'm voting third party then." Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And yeah, so I find that when I'm looking as again, as an outsider, as a Canadian, I look outside at what's happening in the United States, particularly with Trump. And I see the um, almost near religious approach to him. Uh, I And I say that, like, quite seriously, there's almost a uh, like this is our uh, God-given, you know, uh, 
like like almost like a Catholic king in a way. Yeah, Holy um, Roman Emperor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's one way or the other, right? He's either a saint or he's a demon. There's yeah, no correct. in between, right? Yeah, T- tip- yeah. Generally speaking, um, <laughs> yeah. he is. Uh, I would agree with the general assessment, the general feeling that he is essentially a demagogue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like, but the thing is, like, I'm seeing, like, I, I don't know what if Mike feels the same way, but like, at times, I have to question whether I'm smelling a rat or not, and like, because I, I mean, we've got people like Andrew Shear and Doug Ford, and like these other people who have you know been kind of you know, using the conservative Christian vote to try to get themselves into power and then immediately slap the people that voted for them. And while I don't necessarily know if Trump has done that directly in a way, I still look at the last four years and I see a lot of empty promises, particularly in the pro-life realm. So I'm wondering if you could kind of speak to that. Um, And, like, do you do you think, as a Catholic, that there is good reason to trust someone like that? Oh boy, there's a lot to take in there and um, unravel. <laughs> to start with your last point, uh, no, absolutely not. And if you had spoken to just a general population of Catholics in late 2015, early 2016, there was almost a universal agreement that there was no way we were going to treat Trump seriously as a candidate for the presidency. Right. Uh, in fact, and I've, I've spoken to this before, um, one of the largest, most public apostolates uh, online, catholicvote.org, had a number of articles on their website that they have since scrubbed from their editorial history. Um, Which is crazy. So that it, it is. That, that in itself is problematic. Uh, it, it betrays, at best... A disingenuous journalism and at worst dishonest and it, it it makes immediately any anything i view from them suspect but that's that's another point another discussion altogether uh my point is like once something's on the internet you you can't get rid of it it's it's going to be there forever it's going to be archived in some form or another um elsewhere and i have found these old articles that were published by the president of of catholic vote and the the biggest article was just not period trump period (laughs) and Mm -hmm. like this thought that we could not by any stretch of our imagination put our support behind this man and he has Brian uh, Brian Birch is the the president who published this article and has tried to delete it from history uh, as if they supported Trump all along. And yeah. I think that's just playing to a base. That's playing to 
uh, the the lines in the sand that are drawn in America uh, with our unfortunate two party system. And when you have, I mean, there's so much to be said because I mean, we could be talking about political philosophy and just culture and the evolution of the, the Democratic Republic in America. But th- what what I have observed and what I can speak to in my own lived experience is this you're either with us or you're against us mentality. It's, it's black or white. It's you're, you're all in or you're all out. There is no middle ground. Mm-hmm. You cannot be a moderate. In fact, you, you can talk to a number of conservatives who will tell you that you can't be moderate anymore. You just like you morally, you cannot do this. But the, the general thought at, in 2015, 2016 was Trump that we can't trust him. He's a shady business person. He has uh, a morally repugnant past, being married and then leaving his wife for his mistress, marrying her instead, and then divorcing his mistress and marrying another mistress <laughs> who yeah. has essentially done porn. So you. I mean, you could just start there. Like, this is the one, this is the candidate that we're supporting as pro-family. This is the pro-family candidate. Hmm. And, like, you, then everything just unravels because you look at right. the rest of his history and in, in his shady business deals and his treatment of uh, people of color just in his business practices and in his, the cult of personality that surrounds him, even even before he was president he was generally regarded as not a good person not someone you would want to befriend certainly not someone you would want to lead the country in any capacity he right. was a reality tv star he he was firing people <laughs> left and right he was doing things for views he's he's deliberately provocative mm-hmm. and now that he's president, I mean, his tweets are a matter of public record. If you don't think what I'm saying is realistic, then I encourage anybody listening to this, just, just go scroll through his Twitter feed, and I give you not even 30 seconds, 10 seconds before he's insulting somebody publicly hmm. as the you know, chief executive of the United States of America. Yeah, he's really big on uh, name-calling, eh? Everyone's oh goodness, got a nickname. Yes. <laughs> Everyone has a nickname. Even even people in his own party who supported him, to to their shame, and if they have one small criticism of him, even if it's a legitimate criticism, all of a sudden he turns on them like that, They'll be fired in the next week and replaced with somebody else who is more amicable to his attitudes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, stepping back to Catholic vote for a second, because I thought it was really interesting, the uh, article and then the follow-up they had, because uh, I remember following it at the time, and I was 100% like, I'm with you guys on both of these because 
it was during the uh, selection of the Republican candidate that they were like, not Trump, never Trump, anyone but Trump. And I was like, yeah, 100%. He's an embarrassment. We can't make him the candidate. It would be a disaster. Mm -hmm. And then... (laughs) He became the candidate, and then after we <laughs> after we stopped crying, <laughs> then they kind of changed their tune, and they were like, "Well, now we have to shift our perspective and only compare him versus Hillary." And I remember thinking, yes. "Well, if it's him or Hillary, then I guess I, I guess I'm on Team Trump now." Like, and I think a lot of people thought the same right a lot of faithful catholics were like well even if he does nothing at least he's not gonna do all the terrible things that hillary promises to do so i have to hold my nose and vote for him and i think that was precisely the the attitude is we hold our nose and vote for him because he's not hillary yeah um i think i mean we we like to categorize things in general. So I think there were a number of groups of, of attitudes when Trump won the, the primary and he became the Republican candidate for the presidency. And one was, as you say, the reluctant Catholics or say, well, we kind of have no choice. And then there was this odd group of people who all of a sudden were diehard Trump supporters. Yeah, And true. The, the people on Catholic Vote are a good example of that, um, especially after he won the presidency. That's when they started scrubbing their anti-Trump articles. But I remember sitting with good friends, good Catholic friends, watching the Republican debates leading up to the primary, and... Every time Trump came on the screen, I mean, we'd be eating popcorn and drinking soda or other adult beverages. And like we would like be throwing popcorn at the screen and just booing <laughs> and saying, there's no way anybody's going to take this clown seriously. He's a clown. Nobody take like and and like then as soon as he won the nomination, all of a sudden they were diehard Trump supporters like they supported him all along. And any criticism you had to levy against Trump was met with just this vitriolic disdain Mm. and then there was another group of catholics who and this is not exhaustive but another group of catholics who just said well i know with certainty i cannot morally put my support behind hillary so there's no way i could vote for her and i also know that i have extreme moral reservations voting for trump so I'm going to vote third party. And some said, I'm just not going to vote at all. They abstained from voting. And then what happened was a, an actually a very low voter turnout for this election. And it was on the Democratic side as well, because the Democrats, I mean, it came out that the Democratic National Committee actively sought to su- suppress bernie sanders as a candidate and they did a number of shady things to do that i'm sorry (laughs) they did a number of shady things to accomplish that 
and prop up Hillary Clinton as the nominee. Right. And you watch her appeal to the younger masses and they're just a joke. Like even the young liberal Democrats didn't want her as a candidate. And so you're just left with these two trash fires <laughs> that you have to vote for. And then right. like, cause the, I mean, in America, I hate to say it, but any third party is not taken seriously in our system. They, they never get enough votes in a presidential race. It's ever. the same here um, kind of thing. In, I would yeah, say in the history Pretty close, of existence, it's never happened. Yeah. We have a third party that gets some seats, but has never actually Oh, formed a government. That's true. The uh, NDP. Yeah, I I don't really view them as a third. Party. When we say vote third party, it's kind of like we're adopting the American term, but what it really means <laughs> is like voting fifth party. Kinda. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> well, and the, the the treatment of that is typically, you know, you say I'm going to vote third party, then the general reaction is go ahead, throw your vote away. Yeah. You know, and I'm just like, because at that point, I was having a number of conversations with a number of Catholics. I was actually assisting on another podcast that was geared to speak to Catholics about how we are going to lose either way. Like, mm. Because Trump is not a great candidate and Hillary is definitely not a good candidate. Yeah. And so you, you we can't win. But I also raised questions about, you know, could a Catholic vote for a Democratic candidate in this case? And even posing the question among Catholics sends up red flags everywhere because they immediately think of the abortion issue mm -hmm. and they'll jump all over that and they'll say they vote a single issue and the single issue is pro-life now yeah and i have to say like i'm very sympathetic to that view yeah like and i yeah i i certainly get it the distinguishing factor has to be that what the republican party defines as pro-life and what the catholic church defines as pro-life are very different things mm -hmm. the republican party's pro-life stance only extends to abortion mm. and even then it's abortion with reservations so abortion is universally morally unacceptable unless you're raped unless it the child is a product of incest mm. unless there's a threat to the mother's life yeah you're, you're saying that that's their that's their kind of stance is yes yeah at and best, you could, I mean, you get from Donald Trump himself has gone on record a number of times saying, oh, I'm very pro-life. I'm very pro-life with three exceptions, the three mm. exceptions, rape, incest and threat to the mother's life. Right. It's like, well, you're not fully pro-life then. Like, are you? Right. They, yeah. That's their that's their view of the moderate stance. Yeah. And we can go like I know we've got strong. uh opinions against the whole uh seamless garment thing was, that's kind of been say that yeah like mm. we see it as largely a tool of undermining catholic morality but 
that's not the case with abortion exceptions, right? Mm. I think Mm -hmm. if you're saying there's exceptions and abortion should sometimes be allowed, that's still beyond the pale. Like you're not pro-life at all. And it's it's borderline incoherent, but it's a result of the pluralistic society that we live in. Right. And the, the, foundation one of the founding well it's not in our constitution anywhere but the the one of the ideals of the american democracy is you know the separation of church and state and and keeping that ideal sacrosanct Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so it's that's an interesting side topic too eh (laughs) because the popes were very against that They were for a yeah. time. It seems like the some of the modern ones seem to be like speaking in favor of it. Mm-hmm. But definitely at the time it was like nah. Yeah. You can't uh you can't say that Christ is not the king of your country cuz he needs to be. Yeah. The social kingship of Christ is a thing. And I still think that's legitimate Catholic uh doctrine yeah like anything less than the complete social kingship of christ is a compromise word word yeah but i mean that the thing that that billy was talking about there too when it comes to the republicans you brought up an incredibly valued valuable point in your instagram because it's like they say this yeah, we're pro-life and blah, blah, blah. You hear Trump getting up on stage at the March for Life this year, and everybody's clapping and going insane. Finally, a pro-life president is speaking at the March for Life. It can't be that it's an election year. I I don't really get that. But then, like... You brought up an eva- a valuable point about his voting, or not his voting record, his um, the support he still gives to Planned Parenthood. So can you maybe Absolutely. dive into that a little bit? Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, well, and like a little bit of a disclaimer too is uh, one. I don't. I don't want this to be like um, a two minutes hate <laughs> against the Republicans, you know, uh, or the Republican Party in general. Uh, but I am particularly critical of the Republican Party because I was a Republican for so long and I aligned my views with conservatism for so long. Uh, and it, it disappoints me to see fellow Catholics not using evidence presented to them in any introspective way to think critically about the policies or the candidates that are supported by the Republican party because universal, uh, well, no, not universally, but it generally it's difficult to find a Catholic Democrat. And even when you do that Catholic Democrat is pro-life and they are not going to be in support of a lot of the candidates that the Democrats are putting forward. So that's why I'm so critical of, of the, the Republican side of things. Um, but uh, you know, when when Trump was prior to his election, we had no voting record to look at because he was not a public servant. He was a businessman. That's it. So a lot of 
people tended they they wanted to give him the benefit of the doubt mm-hmm. and they wanted to exercise this principle of charity but only to him they didn't want to exercise it for his his opposition they they wouldn't give it to Hillary or they wouldn't give her the benefit of the doubt in anything and they wanted to pray for his conversion you know maybe he'll change what he's in office maybe he'll he'll hire the best people maybe they'll influence him we wouldn't give that same you know, regard to Hillary Clinton. She's, it's impossible for her to convert. She's a Democrat. Yeah, so there's this like, this weird, uh, dualistic view. Like mm. we can apply all of these things because we want them to be true to our candidate, but we can't apply them to the opposition because they're the enemy. I mean, maybe to push back a little bit, isn't it kind of the idea of, okay, with Trump, we can, hope that he'll keep his word like going into his first term we could be like okay we can hope that when he says i'm pro-life and i'm gonna defund planned parenthood that he's gonna follow through and charitably assume that he honestly means it but if you apply the same standard to hillary you'd be assuming that she means it when she's going to defend every abortion, give more money to Planned Parenthood, fund abortion overseas, blah, blah, blah. I think there is... My my, intu- my intuitive reaction to that is I think there's a little bit of naivete in that a Certainly. billionaire philanthropist... Totally agree with that. Yeah. Who is who is seeking a position of power is saying things to appeal to his base to get votes because that is what is expected of him as the Republican candidate. But I do agree. That was one of the valid considerations that was brought forth that maybe like in spite of all evidence to the contrary of him as a business person, as a horrible, morally reprehensible person who has very little virtue that we can find, maybe this time he'll be virtuous. Yeah. And I, the other I can thing, see wanting to cling to that hope. The other thing I remember thinking is like, maybe he will at least just focus on other things and not create more terrible laws and like push for Mm. more stuff like that. Um, And then what happened? (laughs) So as soon as Trump came into power, his first priority, what was it? Was it defunding Planned Parenthood? Absolutely not. It was attempting to repeal uh, the American healthcare uh, properly or or popularly called uh, Obamacare, trying to repeal that. And he got quite a bit of pushback for that. You're trying to take health care away from millions of Americans who are now dependent on this because the previous administration paved the way for this. And it's cheaper. And now they have a sustainable life. And they depend on this for their life. And so it, it, the, the rhetoric changed. Well, not repeal. It's repeal and replace. We're going to replace it with something better. Well... In spite of the Republicans having a majority control of the House of Representatives, Congress and Senate, they couldn't decide on anything. So they spent months working on repealing and rolling back health, national health care, and then they couldn't agree on it. And then it became, well, it's not going to be repeal and replace. We're just going to get rid of it and give you something better. Like, it's going to be Trump care. 
And that lasted about a week before something else came up. And then that <laughs> yeah. slowly died down because Trump said something outrageous in an offhand remark or, and people honed in on that. And then it became about immigration. Mm-hmm. We're going to build a wall. Mexico is going to pay for it. You're not going to pay for it. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, maybe you're going to pay for it. No, but, but we're not going to take from other programs. We're not going to take from other financial assets to pay for this wall. Well, maybe we're going to take from other financial assets to pay for this wall. Maybe yeah. we're going to cut education. Maybe we're going to cut healthcare. Maybe we're going to dip into these other things. And so, like, all of this stuff, and you just start watching this, this administration unravel. And, like, cabinet, there was, like, a revolving door of cabinet members. People were being fired left and right and hired. And, like, it, it was just, it, it, I couldn't keep up with it. I don't think any, in spite of our 24-hour <laughs> news cycle, in spite of, like, Twitter being updated every second, like, we couldn't keep up with it. <laughs> but then, if we want to talk specifically and, and hone in on the pro-life issue, it was never a priority mm. in his days in office. In fact, when the Republicans had the majority control, they passed federal spending bills that continued to give Planned Parenthood over 500 millions and millions of dollars annually. In 2017, the Consolidated Appropriations Act went through. million to Planned Parenthood. Trump could have vetoed it. He could have said, no, you're going to do this and you're going to remove Planned Parenthood. We are not giving any provisions to them. No. He signed it into law. 2018 comes around. Consolidated Appropriations Act of 2018. $500 million to Planned Parenthood. Trump signs that into law. 2019. 2019, the United States federal budget didn't have a single Appropriations Act. It was like divided into a number of different acts and they still gave more than $500 million to Planned Parenthood. Planned Parenthood wow. reported over $616 million from the federal government and a record number of abortions for the fiscal year ending in 2019. Yeah. So you I look think, at that and you say, pro-life, huh? Yeah, that's just kind of the mic drop, right? Like, that's completely... like, Yeah, yeah. Well, it goes even more... It's even worse than that because... For the fiscal year of 2019, when this was being revised in Congress or in in the House, when Republicans still had majority control, Senator Rand Paul, who I'm not a huge fan of, he's a Republican from Kentucky, he attempted to introduce an amendment to the budget that would completely remove all federal funding to Planned Parenthood. He called it the pro-life amendment, and he proposed this on the floor in front of his Republicans. You know what happened? The Republicans blocked it and they forced the amendment to be removed from the bill. And Rand Paul went on record. He said, this is what happened. As soon as I was done presenting my amendment, I was when when the session ended, like I was pulled from the floor and a number of Republicans talked to me and they said, you need to you need to like withdraw your amendment. Wow. And according to him. And I can't speak to the veracity of this, but according to him and his public statements, he said, why? And the response he got was, because it might pass. And so he (laughs) withdrew his amendment. I don't know if he actually withdrew it or if it was actually forcibly blocked. But in any case, his pro-life, like his amendment that would have removed all federal funding to Planned Parenthood was 
Nope. Yeah. So when so you is, when you ask the question of can we trust Trump or the Republicans, you can't say yes after that has happened, right? Like that's Absolutely a complete not. and utter betrayal mm-hmm. of what they made their platform. Mm-hmm. Now, I mean, I, to before anybody says I'm I'm being willfully selective with this, I, there are some things you can point to, and the, there are things that Catholics will immediately point to, and they'll say. Within the first few days of office, Trump reinstated the Mexico City policy. And that, for those who don't know, that blocks federal funding for abortion or abortion advocacy for non-governmental groups um, that receive government funding. Uh, and I, I think that's almost a non-starter. Like that, sure, he reinstated the Mexico City policy. But the caveat is Republicans and Democrats play ping pong with that policy every time they're elected. It's, mm-hmm. it's almost a non-issue. It's almost a nothing because like as soon as a Democrat comes into play, they're going to reinstate the Mexico City policy. It, it's just one of those things that they play with to appeal to their bases. And mm-hmm. it's one of those things that they can do as an executive action so it can be done very quickly so they can say, within the first few days of office, President so-and-so does this. And so, and, and, and the uh, additional caveat to that is that the Mexico City policy still funds contraception, which is another intrinsic evil, Catholics. Mm-hmm. Then yeah. they'll come back with, okay, fine, but he elected two Supreme Court justices who are pro-life, Neil Gorsuch and Brett Kavanaugh. And so you can say, yes, that's true. He elected judges to the judicial branch of government in the Supreme Court. But that in itself is also difficult to justify because the election of these individuals to court doesn't guarantee any pro-life judgments in the future. It's, it's just playing probability. It's playing the odds that Mm. it's likely they'll side with a pro-life cause. If, and this is a big if, if any case regarding abortion actually makes it to the Supreme court has any case, (laughs) no, no, And and, and this is also in spite of the fact that the Supreme Court has historically defended cases like Roe versus Wade at least five separate times. And this is like that's a legal thing. Like when when legal precedent is set anywhere, it's very difficult to remove that legal precedent and to substitute something else. So I say, okay, yeah, the the two justices, that's good, but that doesn't. You, that hasn't advanced anything pro-life that hasn't done anything and then they'll say okay well he revoked title 10 funding i don't know if you heard about that yeah, that was heard, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah and that's that's the that's a federal grant program for reproductive health trump's rule revokes funding for anybody who advocates abortion as part of reproductive health that's air quotes reproductive health and now this it, it's it's a a good thing, but it's such a small thing. You know how much Planned Parenthood is going to miss out on from not getting Title Ten funding? Less than $60 million. <laughs> They're still getting over $4.5 million in federal funding from the government. <laughs> so Yeah, so it's like, like a 10% cut to how much they're giving Planned Parenthood. Right, and on top of that, it's being taken to court 
like it's being appealed. So this this suspension, this gag rule, as it's being called, of Title Ten funding may not hold up in court. It might be revoked. It might be overturned. So like the, you can't point to anything solid that tr- Trump or his administration has done. There's been no legislation. There's been nothing executive. And there's certainly been nothing judicial. So then what's, what are Catholics going to point to? They're going to point to the states. They're going to be like, well, since Trump came into office, some states have passed some pro-life laws. And that is very messy like alabama and georgia attempted to pass fetal heartbeat bills have you guys heard of this yeah Mm -hmm. and those are very they're so broad and vague in their definitions of how how they plan on uh you know executing these these laws that certain lawyers have looked at the wording of this and brought it up and you can find public just editorials about this that if a woman god bless her if a woman has a miscarriage a natural miscarriage and somebody finds out they can report that to the police she can be taken in and she will have to be she will have to prove that she medically didn't do it. Yeah. That she did not do that herself. That this was a natural miscarriage. Now, can you imagine how morally problematic that is, number one, but two, how ridiculously invasive that is for a grieving mother (laughs) and father? Like, the damage that does, like, how overreaching this this law is. it It has good intention, but they they often don't see these broader pictures. Right. So it's, it's just a very, it's very messy. But if you, if you want to just look at Trump specifically, you really can't nail down anything specific that he's done to advance the pro-life cause. And all you hear, all, like all I've heard, and this is my personal experience. This is my lived experience. I can only speak to that. But all I have heard is he's the most pro-life president in history. And I, when I ask for evidence of this, nobody can give it to me. Mm-hmm. And when I point out the federal budget that he could have vetoed that gave over $1.5 billion in funding to America's largest abortion provider, people just shrug and say, well, yeah, I agree. The optics of that are bad. Yeah. <laughs> the reality is <laughs> What do you mean bad. the optics of that are bad? This is like direct formal cooperation with evil he is funding this he could have stopped it and that's key like um on the one hand i mean most pro-life president in history is not exactly a high bar that's a a very low bar actually there hasn't actually ever been a president who came close to being pro-life but i mean Unless you count the ones before Roe v. Wade, maybe in theory. But uh, <laughs> what was I going to say? Oh yeah, so I was looking at um, thinking about this podcast beforehand. I was looking at um, Evangelium Vitae from uh, oh, yeah. JP Two, and in there he talks about guidelines for pro life laws and 
a little bit about mm-hmm. pro-life voting and it's interesting like he he lays out some guidelines that theoretically allow you to vote for laws that partially restrict abortion but still allow it yes but the the criteria are pretty specific for it to not be a mortal sin of cooperating with abortion by allowing it um doesn't he speak of incremental means of restricting this he might use that term yeah but the the criteria involve first of all the person has to um like their complete opposition to abortion has to be public so that there's no possibility of scandal by them voting for a law that partially allows it. And then the other thing that's super important in Trump's case is the ability to completely or more restrict abortion has to be impossible in their honest judgment. So, That means, based on these guidelines, everything the Republicans have done is completely immoral. Like, you can't vote for laws that restrict but still allow abortion when, like, completely defunding Planned Parenthood was on the table. You know, at least that's how it looks to me, Mm -hmm. reading that. The other thing I wanted to kind of bring up was i mean yeah there's there's big weaknesses in the things they did obviously like title 10 it might be overturned of course if it goes to the supreme court then you get a test of their new uh judges they added exactly um (laughs) and one of the things i've kind of witnessed both in Canada and the United States is the power of judges is growing and expanding out of control. Mm. And this has happened in the abortion issue in both countries. It's happened with euthanasia. It's happened with gay marriage where the government doesn't even legislate these things anymore. Someone just brings it to the Supreme court and it's, you know, well-funded and backed by billionaire activists and it gets to the Supreme court. And then the Supreme court says, Oh yeah, this law has gone. And, uh, government, you have to, you know, you have to replace it. And then the government doesn't. And so the, the judges are just able to completely change the law without any control. So it seems like in, this bizarro world environment. I mean, appointing Supreme court justices is almost like the importance of it is very inflated in both our countries. Our abortion law is still non-existent because the Supreme court struck it down and asked for parliament to replace it with one that wasn't um, like discriminating or something like that. And every government has been too cowardly to pass a single law related to abortion since then. What? I this is I I'm painfully ignorant of 
politics <laughs> that are not American. Yeah. So, <laughs> but it's kind of similar to what happened recently with gay marriage in the states, right? The Supreme Court was just like, no, 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 because we have a majority, we're going to say that the Constitution says you have to allow gay marriage, even though it's yeah, that, like, totally spurious. And that's a that's another that's another issue. <laughs> it's it's another one of those things. So I I don't know if this exists in Canada, but there are a number of private apostolates in America that are, have very deeply tied themselves to the Republican Party. Oh yeah. Well, not uh, in Canada, but yeah. Well, there, there exist these things called voter guides uh, published by these Catholic apostolates. And one of them I think is titled um, voters guide for serious Catholics. And it frames things in terms of the five non-negotiables, which is again, its own issue because in the language of the church, five non-negotiables don't exist. We can't quant quantify um, <laughs> morally non-negotiable issues in that way, and we don't usually frame it in terms of our uh, ability to influence public policy. We uh, even we do have some similar groups, like right now that you mentioned. Oh, I guess, but we they're not really a, a Catholic apostolate, though. They wouldn't. They wouldn't call themselves Catholic. not officially, but they are Catholics. Then we have yeah. like Campaign Life Coalition. Yeah, um, mm -hmm. but they're they're Protestant, I think. Oh, are they? I don't know. I think so. Well, in in one of those in this popular pamphlet that is is published, and the five non negotiables, it's often one of the things I have to discuss. One of them is same sex marriage, and. Have have you heard President Trump say anything about that at all? I thought he was Any, a supporter of gay marriage. I thought he was a supporter of the traditional family. But no, I mean I never no, thought that. <laughs> they, well, I mean that's what they say. He's pro family. That pro might life, be the party line, but I that's, think and that's always... the party line. But there's been absolutely no movement in that area. So now we have to accept that there are candidates on both sides who accept another one of those non-negotiable issues. And so it's just like, okay. So now we're like, we're trying to weigh which candidate is more, less morally reprehensible, you know? And then we're doing, we're performing this moral calculus that in itself is foreign to Catholic moral theology to try to justify our vote and whether or not it's morally licit. And it, you you continue down this this path and things just get so convoluted so quickly it's mm -hmm. it's and it i i think it ought to be difficult to make a decision when voting and i understand and sympathize with those catholics who voted in 2016 who as we said at the beginning they held their nose and they cast a vote for trump because it was in their mind the the lesser of two evils which in mm -hmm. itself is problematic because the church unequivocally condemns any type of moral theory that gauges the morality of an action by weighing the lesser of two evils it's called proportionalism the church has said this is not a valid moral theory we can't make moral judgments based on that but again you talk about voting they say no you have to vote for the lesser of two evils they won't even engage in a philosophical argument about why that's unacceptable i mean there's 
there's a distinction between means and ends too, right? When it comes to greater and lesser evil, like it would be, maybe I'm out of my depth, but like if you're doing an act that is evil, it's always, always. it's, mm-hmm. it's always evil and not allowable. Even if you're like, well, I could have done a greater evil. Um, <laughs> or, <laughs> exactly. But, yeah. But, um, yeah, then there's a distinction where if the act itself is morally neutral, then you can consider the greater or less lesser evil of the um, outcomes. Yeah, Yeah. the ends. So I don't know for sure, but I think that's what people are applying to voting, that it's like um, that we have to consider the ends because we're not committing an objective evil by voting. Right. Um, and that's, but- that's another like layer of this discussion of the church speaks of our obligation to vote, but the church never, I haven't found at least, I, I cannot find any definitive statement on this on whether the church defines voting as a moral act, whether it's morally neutral or morally good. You would think if we have an obligation to it, it would be a moral good. Yeah. So that is like another layer to the discussion about, okay, is voting in and of itself morally good or morally neutral? We know it's not morally evil, else the church would tell us that we can't do it. Yeah. But then, like, you go deeper and you say, well, voting is never in a vacuum. You're always voting for something, voting for someone. So if you're voting for something, is that thing morally good, morally evil, morally neutral. And then you have a list of like 500 policies to go through. And you say, well, this is morally evil, but this is morally good. This is morally neutral, moral evil, moral evil, moral good. Mor-. And then we, we're back to that moral calculus where we're like weighing, well, well, this is bad. Well, abortion is the preeminent moral issue of our time. And it carries with it like this moral weight that mm-hmm. no other issue can reach so we can't apply moral equivalents they're all not so we go back and forth and back and forth and it it gives me a headache thinking about because (laughs) it's it's difficult and this this is the the this is what we have to wrestle with as catholics this is what we should be wrestling with but here we are we're and in america it's drawing lines in the sand you're on this side or you're on that side if you're on that side you get you get called all these names you're the enemy you're evil and it's the same thing it's from mm-hmm. both sides and this isn't everybody this is a generalization so you know but speaking in general but the thing is like part of the reason why i uh, i reached out to you as well was like i'm i like i'm well connected with a lot of traditional catholics traditional catholic priests and whatnot and I see so many, so many of these great traditionally minded priests hopping on this bandwagon. And I find it, I find it scandalous to be, to be honest, because of the things that you're talking about. You know, I was listening to a homily that came out after, uh, after Trump gave his, his speech at the March for Life and the, and the priest equivocated I don't know if that's the word, uh, Trump with David and said, well, yes. look at him. 
he he's like King David. I mean, King David had a past. King David had you know all this stuff, and yet yet look at him. You know, like and it it looks like he's you know he's had a conversion. He's had all these things, and you're like, I'm watching this, and and like he's going on for like twenty minutes. You know, he reads the entire speech in full for part of his homily and then goes on a, you know, a 10, 15 minute speech on why you need to give Trump a chance. And I'm like, like, this is not what, like, I don't know, like, this isn't what traditional Catholicism looks like, at least for me, because being a traditional Catholic, one of the big things that sold me on kind of going in this direction was like having your feet on the ground and being like grounded in the reality of like what's going on in the church today, what's going on in the world today and being intellectually honest, you know, being willing to ask the big questions, the big ones and being willing to wrestle instead of just whitewashing everything and saying, well, you know, Uh, you know, let's just give them the benefit of the doubt. Let's just give them, you know, right. like I'm tired of that. You know, the, the, another Catholic priest, fantastic, fantastic priest does incredible good as a priest, uh, you know, comes out and says, I just, I know I'm not allowed to preach about politics from the pulpit, but can somebody build me a mega hat and put it on my front lawn? Oh. I'd really appreciate that. Like, like a 10 foot mega hat. And you're like, Come on, like, how can you say this guy is it when he's got this record? So, yeah, one of the things I wanted to kind of ask you about, too, is like, is there a reason in your in your estimation why these blinders have kind of gone up on so many traditional and, and you know, conservative minded Catholics? Yeah, just faithful Catholics uh, yeah. in general, right? Like, yeah. What, like, why this near reverence for a man who, yeah, just I don't think deserves as much trust as as they're giving him. Like, do you, is there something specifically American in the American mind? Is there a history there mm. that's like that they have to give him that kind of? I don't know. Love. Right. There's definitely not. This is this is new uh, in terms of cult of personality and what what we would call worship, essentially I, I, idolatry. Um, this this non-critical look at the candidate and praise for everything he does, even if it's uh, objectively morally reprehensible. Uh, there's if it's objectively morally reprehensible, then there's justifications and defenses till you know the cows come home. It, it just ad nauseum. Um, you can't you can't bring a criticism against Trump without somebody defending him to the point of nausea, literally, like a physical illness. Uh, so I've only been involved in the American political landscape, oh man, for less than eighteen years. <laughs> And so even when I got involved, I was young, going to Franciscan University, and there the college Republicans had the monopoly on any political discourse that took place. College Republicans existed on campus, 
but they were heavily ridiculed. You mean they were co- actively college protested against? Mean, right. What's that? Co- you said you meant college Democrats. Oh yeah, college Democrats. Sorry, yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah. The college Democrats they were actively ridiculed and publicly protested against. And <laughs> there were uh, a number of uh, <laughs> yeah, as as much as Franciscan students could do. Yeah. But there were a number of incidents where college Democrats and college Republicans would meet and it would just devolve into a screaming match. And it was all along the party line and all, it was mostly along the, the pro-life stance, I suppose, in spite of there being no real evidence for it when you consider the funding. But and and back then, my goodness, back then we, it was early two thousands so this is post two towers, nine eleven. Tragedy in America. Almost everybody wanted war after that. Didn't matter who. We just knew they were Middle Eastern, uh, and eventually we settled on the the war on terror, which put our troops in Afghanistan and Iraq and the area and. and we found out later well that 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 may have actually been an unjust war on our part (laughs) so and how do we how do we go to war with a a people that aren't representative of the country they're just a religious extreme sect but this country is married to its religion so that that in itself again another discussion another podcast yeah but so back then I just, I listened to what was being spoken of, like at my church, you know, I'm in the South, I'm in the Bible belt. This is what has a heavy evangelical presence. So the rhetoric surrounding election is going to be influenced by that mindset of, of aligning yourself with conservatism and Republicanism and anything else is just unacceptable. I think it really just comes down to the, the pro-life line. Uh, because the demonization of the Democrat, they're, they're baby killers. That's what you'll be told. Mm-hmm. These people want to kill babies. Like they are evil. They are evil people. Instead of these are fellow citizens, many of them fellow Christians who are, are seeking heaven, who are seeking the common good in society and they are truly convinced this is something good, even though it is morally reprehensible and objectionable. But when you draw lines like that and you say they are evil, you frame the discourse in such a way that this is now a war of good versus evil. This is a battle for the salvation of the country's soul. And it's us against them. And if they are our enemy, then as is traditional with war propaganda, they have to be dehumanized. We can't look at them like that. We can't, we could never look at Hillary Clinton and say, well, we pray for her conversion. She is, she's a broken human being made in the image and likeness of God. And God, what we know from scripture, wills her salvation. He wants her salvation. He desires her to be with him in heaven in unity. No, she is evil. She is literally the devil. She eats babies. <laughs> that's like, that's the rhetoric. Like, I, 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 that's a caricature, a little bit of a caricature, a little bit extreme, hyperbolic, but that's my experience of the attitude of Republicans versus Democrats. 
Yeah, I see that a lot. And on some, I'm kind of on the fence, right? Like to some extent, I agree with you and see what you're saying. And dehumanizing anyone is always going to be wrong. We always Mm -hmm. want to pray for everyone's conversion and love them. On the other hand, like I sympathize with the rhetoric because if you turn on something like the democratic debates, I've turned them on and I can't even stand to watch them because Mm -hmm. they're literally just applauding for infanticide. They will literally stand up there and say, if a baby's born alive and left on the table, they need to die. And the crowd goes wild for that. Like we we had a, obviously I Virginia that said the same thing. Yeah. Obviously I empathize with like, to some degree, how can you look at that and not say they are baby killers and they like it, you know, <laughs> like right. even though they are well, human and, on, as and well. I think, and I think there it's, it's just the navigation of the extremes, you know, yeah. because on the other side you have Trump on public record saying, well, yeah, the mother needs to be punished. She should be imprisoned. The doctor needs to be imprisoned. There needs to be jail time for this. Because this, if if that's the moral, logical conclusion, right? Yeah. If abortion is murder and it's the deliberate will for murder, then obviously, who's who's party to that? The the uh-huh. mother, on doctors, doctor. yeah. on doctors, definitely it's, no disagreement for me. Yeah, none. Well, for it's, me it's, too, it's my it only disagreement than would a mother be it hiring an assassin to kill somebody else who's live and walking down the street. Mm. She's party to that. She's mm-hmm. paying for it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's an assassination. She's paying mm-hmm. for an assassination, isn't she? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anybody? There's Yeah, right. So that's but that's the reaction that you got. Even Republicans came out strongly against it. They say, "No, this is inhumane." Because of the nuance that, you know, we are not against abortion in cases of rape and incest and in cases where her life is in danger. Mm-hmm. So we can't take that hard line because there are exceptions to the rule. Right. Mm-hmm. And we're Republicans, so we're also in favor of capital punishment. So, I mean, mm. how far do we go for first degree murder? Do we kill the mother? <laughs> I'll put my hand up for capital <laughs> punishment. <laughs> in the states, though, would you? Do you think it's necessary? In the, maybe that. Maybe that's a different conversation. <laughs> that's another. And but, I'll say there. There's there. I think in, in the choice of capital punishment, there can be legitimate disagreement uh, between Catholics on that because the church. Mm-hmm. You look at church history. I mean, we had a papal ex- executioner up until like sometime in the 1960s. I think mm-hmm. so. because it because it was morally licit. Like yeah, there can be disagreement on whether we need it, whether it's objectively moral or not. I think is a settled question in Catholic theology and it's at least in theory, it is morally permissible in spite of the new revision of the catechism. Yeah. That's, Uh, but it, it, to, to follow, to continue following the thread of of Chris, um, the, I think at least what I've noticed is that these, these divisions have become more extreme and so it's almost mm-hmm. the default position that Catholics have to be Republican because it's so unconscionable to think of being Democrat because of these reasons, because of the extremes, because of the permissive and willful expansion of abortion. But also what we noticed when Barack Obama was elected with the, the pass of the ACA or Obamacare that 
there were provisions in there that seemed to be deliberately eroding religious liberty. And right. the, there were cases where religious organizations who opted into the ACA had to provide contraceptives. Right. Even like if the, they like had the a little sisters rejection. of the poor. Like the little sisters of the poor. Yeah. Yeah. Talk so about a scandal it, taking the sisters yeah. to the Supreme Court to. <laughs> exactly. And so, so, but that, that was one of the things. And I don't, I mean, I want to exercise the principle of charity. So I don't, I don't want to think that that was a willful and deliberate thing that like, yes, we want to get these Christians to betray their consciences and like destroy Christianity. But I think, I really think it Why was. Why not? Hold on. How can, how can you not see that as a direct, like they knew what they were doing. It's, it's like abundantly clear. They knew, they knew where they were going. You've got people like Nancy Pelosi, who's like, and uh, what was who was the person that was the head of um, uh, he- health and human services? Whatever her name was, was that Nancy That's Pelosi? Pelosi? That is Pelosi. Yeah. Okay, so yeah, like she's going gung ho for it. She knows exactly what she's doing. There's no way. There's no way she doesn't know what she's doing. Yeah, she's an air quotes Catholic like Trudeau, and she's like. Yeah, I'm Catholic, and also Catholics should pay for contraception and abortion. Yeah. I don't know. Well, on the one hand, so this is where it gets convoluted. So we have the United (laughs) States Conference of Catholic Bishops. Uh, Love them or hate them, they are, you know, Mm, territorial authoritative. (laughs) Sorry, did I say that? I I don't hate them as individuals, but I do hate the organization as a governing body. You hate them with a perfect hatred. (laughs) As a governing body, it should be abolished. Yes. Yes. And there are are individuals who would would promote that as well uh, uh, outside of this podcast, I believe. But, you know, for better or for worse, they exist. And I actually really appreciate what they have to say on. Voting, they have a document called "Forming Consciences for Faithful Citizenship" that I think is very fair in terms of uh, putting our actions in the public policy in terms of the Catholic view of of things and how the Church objectively teaches. But when this, when Obamacare was going through, the USCCB met with the administration and they they promoted it. They they were in favor of this, but the what I understand is that their discussions included provisions for religious exemptions in cases of contraception and abortion. And through a series of meetings, this wasn't like just overnight. This was like over a couple of years. Like they were promised this again and again and again. Like, yes, of course there's going to be provisions. And then the law finally came out and there wasn't a provision. And that's when the USCCB went full stop and said, no, we no longer support this. We were promised this. Here's a record of our meetings. And now this is happening. So, again, I don't know because I, you know, you talk to certain people and they think the government is incompetent and everything. And we all have anecdotal evidence to support that to some degree. So I don't know if this was oversight or deliberate and willful attack. It could have been corrected if it was an oversight. Well, once things start moving through legislation forcing the nuns to go to the supreme court yeah yeah that's true it is very true 
and I think that's and that's one of the things is that's where Democrats drew the line. They they didn't. Yeah. They they didn't correct it. And so then you have this emphasis that yep, they're actively attacking. Demo- it's just the Democrats who are actively attacking and actively eroding religious liberty. And that's one of the ways I I kind of sympathize with the Republican side is like I see some of these things where it seems like they hate us and they want to attack us. And the religious liberty is one thing and it, it comes through different channels, right? Now it's like the whole trans agenda too. You know, mm-hmm. they want everyone to be able to fire you if you don't use their pronouns. They want to be able to you know, defund you and fire you if you don't build them their bathrooms, you know, they want to take away your funding if you don't uh, send, you know, gender confused men into the same bathroom as little girls, you know, like these are unabashed positions that every Democrat candidate holds. And these are society-destroying things, even aside from abortion, which every single one of them says, I want to expand, protect, promote overseas, fund. Like, even even compared to a traitorous, incompetent Trump, it seems so terrifying to look at all these positions of the Democrats. Like... Again, I'm not American, but I empathize with the position of thinking it's a complete non-starter to even consider supporting Democrats. Mm-hmm. Like, what do you I, I, say to that? Oh, I think you're right, and that's that's exactly what has come of the past decade or so of the political discourse what we saw with eight years with obama and how this this religious liberty continued to be attacked uh and what has continued to push through uh, from a primarily democratic administration it, it just became more and more unthinkable that a catholic could in good conscience be a democrat and so i think the default uh position just just became Republican and nobody second guessed that until the Republican primaries, you know, 2015, mm-hmm. 2016, when they said, Oh no, Trump could be the next president. Like he, this, this man could lead us. Mm-hmm. And there was opposition to him. And then he won the primary. And then all of a sudden there was, yeah. and I, I think the, I get the sense that the, devotion to trump is one that's born out of fear because it's it's when when you have this like what mike what you were saying when you have this apparent deliberate attack against Mm -hmm. christianity then who who do you look for for a savior Mm -hmm. who's going to save you from that donald trump he's your savior he's he's the new david 
He's the one who's going to fight for your religious liberty in spite of the fact that he hasn't done anything. He's the one that's going to be pro-life in spite of the fact that he's given $1.5 billion to Planned Parenthood. He's the one that's going <laughs> to do this. Like, So you have, on the one hand, people who are overtly attacking Christianity and people who, on the other hand, are deliberately lying or misleading and saying, we're going to do this, we are these things, and then do nothing mm-hmm. for that. Yeah. You, so uh, what's, what's better? You... you- you did an awesome tweet and I, or not tweet, but a Instagram post and I, I screen capped it. Cause I was like, this is, this oh, no. is a good po- point. You said, uh, if Catholics make the argument that voting for a Democrat makes you guilty of evil because of the democratic support of, for abortion, then is it doubly evil for voting for Republicans who consistently lie about being pro-life and having the voting record to prove it, thus fully informing your conscience, and then granting over $1 billion in funding for the country's largest abortion provider? Because then you're supporting lying, something Thomists take a strict stance on as a never-justifiable intrinsic evil, and you're supporting the direct funding of abortions. I mean, at least the Democrats are honest about it. <laughs> I did find that really yeah. funny too. <laughs> and that's okay. That's that's what I intended it to be. It it is an exaggeration. And when I when I post on Instagram, it is uh, to an extent incendiary because I want <laughs> my fellow Catholics to like take a serious look at this. Like mm-hmm. this is morally problematic. These are issues we have to wrestle with. Yeah, because this is a problem. Mm-hmm. This yeah. is a problem. I kind of you can't buy sorry, into this political theater and this unflinching loyalty to a demagogue where criticism is forbidden. It, that that's why people mm-hmm. look at you the the conservatives and say you're fascists, you're Nazis because you have this unflinching loyalty and devotion to a leader who is clearly insane. <laughs> and yeah, he's he's not like promoting abortion. He's not out here saying that women should do this, but behind the channels, he's funding it all. Mm-hmm. Like, what I, do you uh, say to that? I kind of took that Instagram tweet, and I don't know if this is what you meant by it a hundred percent, but I kind of took it as an argumentum ad absurdum of against the idea of you're guilty of everything the person you vote for does because yeah well because that is the logical conclusion if that's the case then you know you are guilty of lying and supporting abortion even if you vote republican at this point right because we can no longer look and say we we can give him the benefit of the doubt we can hope that he'll keep his word we we can't do that Mm -hmm. anymore because yeah. we have four federal budgets. Well, 2017, 2018, 2019, 20, yeah, four federal budgets to look at and say he has done this consistently. In yeah. spite of, like, and you can't, I, I always point to the 2017 and 2018 federal budgets because those were proposed when that majority control was the Republicans. So you couldn't even say, well, the Democrats influenced that. The Democrats obstructed. The Democrats wouldn't yeah. like, no, they didn't, even if they did, they didn't have the votes to do that. They couldn't have. Like we could have moved unobstructed and passed whatever legislation we wanted and we chose not to. Instead, we chose to attack healthcare. Instead, we chose to attack immigration, both of which are massive failures. But we won't talk about that because Trump's pro-life. 
Mm. Yeah, it's brutal. Yeah, the the I think really the the heart of this conversation, right? Because Mike, Mike and I were like we said at the beginning, we're Canadians. We don't really have a real dog in this fight, um, but to at least to me, it's a scandal to see the kind of intellectual dishonesty in particular from traditional minded Catholics with regards to the political party that they're pushing like crazy. And um, you, you said in an, uh, as kind of an end to that Instagram post, you said, um, I love how much misinformation is spread about candidates when it's an election year. The, Theater of it is astounding, and it keeps us entertained, confused, enraged, fearful. But untruth at the end of the day is still untruth. If you need to lie to defeat your opponent, you're really doing a disservice to yourself. Um, so kids, always fact check everything. And that... Like, I think that's really the heart of this conversation is, you know, as Catholics, we have a duty. It is, it is according to the virtue of justice to do our research here, to be, uh, to be honest and to be real about what we're, we're dealing with. And, you know, if we're, if we're going to vote Republican, you know, be willing to admit, you know what, like these guys aren't as exemplary as uh, as we make them out to be just because they spoke at the March for Life this year. I don't know. That's that's kind of my my desire for this conversation is encouraging all of us in every realm, but in particular because we're coming into uh, the election and the majority of listeners <laughs> of this podcast, despite us being Canadian, are American – you know, despite all of that, like we want them to know and to to really well represent what it means to be a Catholic. And I think, again, for me, what it one of the big things about being a Catholic is that it allows us the ability to wrestle with these intellectual questions and to be honest about that and uh, not have to hide behind, you know what, I'm, you know, like just because these guys are doing evil acts, like obviously like it doesn't mean that we have to support this other group over here, you know, just because of things they say, like, like, I don't know. I don't know if if that's, if that makes sense. I just, I, I want all of us to just kind of find a way to be more honest in this conversation. Cause I find it, I find it so scandalous particularly when I hear the most, like the wonderful priests, wonderful guys, like saying these things from the pulpit. And it's like, it's like they can't see really what's, what's happening. Um, it kind of feels like you're watching somebody being brainwashed in a way. And yeah, it's scary. I don't know. It's scary to see. It's, it's this, uh, just, fanaticism this cult of worship this cult of personality that surrounds the candidates both republican and democrat mm-hmm. and i have a, a post that it's something I, I i talk about every opportunity i have that is it's public on the okay catholics instagram and i agree with you chris like my concern is not 
attacking Republicans or defending Democrats or, or vice versa. My concern is upholding church teaching to the best of my ability. And at the same time, being an active American citizen, you know, it's that pluralism we talked about. But I say the church is not Republican. The church is not Democrat. The church is Catholic. And I can point to that in a specific document. And, you know, Gaudium et Spes says the church, by reason of her role and competence, is not identified in any way with the political community, nor bound to any political system. The church and the political community in their own fields are autonomous and independent from each other. So my concern is being Catholic. And with what you were saying, like it's being intellectually honest and being able to have these types of conversations where like you can look at it in such a unique objective way as Canadians. Like you are you are removed from this this landscape to a degree. So you can say these things like as Canadian, I don't understand this. Can you explain this? But I don't think I get the sense that not many, even Catholics can have this type of level headed conversation with each other when they disagree politically. Mm. I have had a number of conversations with a number of people I love very dearly. And it, it's astounding how quickly it will devolve into just name calling buzzwords, talking points from the right, talking points from the left, and we, we start talking past each other instead of speaking to each other. Right. And it's it's so painful when that happens. Like I, that, My hope is that Catholics can have this conversation with intellectual honesty, with transparency, and knowing the issues, being fully informed, having a voting record to look at and examine and say, this might be morally problematic, you know, I, mm-hmm. but I don't, I don't know how we're going to get there. I really don't. I, mm-hmm. I wish there was something we could do. You know, I feel like right now the world is so divided. The American people are so divided. The church is divided. There's just, and there's, there's just so much yelling and there's so much um there's so much passion but not enough like yeah not enough thinking thinking and <laughs> and silence really yeah. in in the conversation and yeah so i i, I don't know i i just really um i've appreciated your honesty and Although sometimes incendiary, I've appreciated the frankness of your of your posts on Instagram. Um, so make sure you go visit uh, OK Catholics on uh, on Instagram. Um, but yeah, I, 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 I don't know. I have like, a disdain for social media because it's it ha- social media. Even though it started out as what we saw as something good, you know, two thousand five Franciscan University finally got social, you know, Franciscan or uh, Facebook. <laughs> Because I was back there. Then, I was there. I was yeah. so pumped. Do you remember the hype on campus? <laughs> oh my gosh, it was palpable. It was palpable. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> because it, it was this new thing. Only college campuses had it. It was great to connect. Yeah. And, but, but where we are now, and this is even where I am guilty of being a part of this, is social media rewards this type of 
incendiary comment. It, it, it reward mm-hmm. like it rewards tweets that are sarc- sarcastic and attacking in their nature because they get retweeted, they get a reaction, they get people talking about it, and mm-hmm. you know, Facebook in itself played a part in a lot of misinformation that was spread about many candidates. I think that's what one of my Instagram posts was in direct response to. Like if we have to lie to promote our candidates, then we're doing ourselves a disservice because I saw uh, immediately, like I saw so much misinformation on Facebook spread by faithful Catholics about a candidate. And I said, this, we could fact check this in 10 seconds. And instead we're just regurgitating talking points from the right or talking points from the left. And we're not engaging in good faith conversations with one another. These are, yeah. these are all bad faith because they start from a point of untruth. We just had one of the best examples of lack of fact-checking, I think, in the news recently. Um, on I think it was CNN that uh, had a story about this survey that said, we have 38% of Americans... Will not buy Corona because of the coronavirus. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah. And yeah. everyone, like we were talking about at work, everyone was believing it. Stupid. I was kind of like, what the heck? How? There's no way this is possible. No one can be that stupid. And it eventually came out that the survey was worded in such a way that it sounded like, would you ever buy Corona? Under now. any circumstances. Yeah. yeah. And it was just like, you know, 38% of people hate Corona and would never buy it. And I'm one they of them. spun that. It's not because of the virus. They spun that like into. That type of beer. Yeah. Now they won't buy it because they're so stupid. Americans are so dumb. And no wonder they vote for Trump. It's probably the entire Bible Belt won't buy Corona now. Like, it's funny because it's true. The, the, uh, the, the dark underside of that is just how much how easy it is for that type of misinformation to spread and yeah, it's terrible be, because it's what what's driving that publication is clicks views retweets shares mm-hmm. all of this it's it's this lacking of journalistic integrity on the one hand mm-hmm. and this theater on the other it's it's a lot of what we're seeing is theater like the democrat debates are perfect examples of that these people these are democrats who lifelong democrats who have been active either in the local or the federal area and they're just attacking one another and it sounds like they're going for blood and but these like outside of that as soon as the primaries are over they're back to normal because that's all theater there there there's this like implicit understanding that this is being done just so you can get votes and mm-hmm. a lot of it is seems disingenuous oh, we'll yeah. attack candidates for something and promote our ideas with misinformation on the no. other hand and yeah and as soon I, as i drop out i'm like this guy's the guy we need for president. You know that guy that in the ba- the debate yesterday I said was like unfit to lead the party and he's a complete oh, moron yeah. and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. 
this guy is the guy. You mean Ted Cruz. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> well, and you look at just how the, the media in general, the media in general, reports on Catholic things, on Catholic news, and how much they get wrong there. Oh, my gosh. It's like, brutal. Just the, and it's <sighs> nearly everything, nearly every single thing that they report about Catholicism is wrong. But when it comes to politics, man, these guys know what they're talking about, don't they? <laughs> yeah. So yeah. can you trust the journalistic integrity of something that they can't find, at l- in the very least, a competent Catholic correspondent <laughs> who can put these things, like, this is what is really happening? Yeah. Th- there's always a bias. Yeah. There's always an agenda. There's always something that's driving that narrative. Yeah. And... We have to we have to be aware of that. It's on the yeah. right and the left. No, exactly, exactly. I mean, one of the things that I find, just as a side note, you know, um, with with Catholics too, is you have, you know, the more what I would say more liberally minded Catholics. I don't know if that is really it. More heterodox minded Catholics. Heretical. Yeah. Like who <laughs> will will be like always they'll they always have to make sure they they get out the talking points of never trust LifeSite News, never trust Michael Voris, never trust one Peter Five, don't listen to tra- trads, you know. Yeah. Um but then on the other side, right? It's <laughs> you know don't ever go to Crux magazine. Don't ever read anything from American magazine. Don't ever read anything, you know, and people, people say this kind of stuff to me all the time. They're like, Oh wow. You watch, you watch church militant or you'll, you'll read life site news articles. And I'll be like, yeah. And I read Crux and I read America and I actually use a discerning mind because that's what we're supposed to do. You know, like I, I uh, know I'm not going to say everything from life site, life site is perfect or everything from church militant is perfect or anything like that. Like I, I just want to be intellectually honest and see things from both sides and be able to make an adequate judgment. But you know, some people won't even look at America or look at crux or look at these things. Um, but and in essence, they just kind of close themselves off to, what they're saying so they can't even really adequately respond to it they just kind of if they do respond to it they respond to it with what this other website has done to respond to it you know what exactly. i mean exactly yeah <laughs> it's it's just a confirmation bias back mm. and forth it's it's just tennis we we send something over they send it right back and because it's it affirms their biases it's mm-hmm. You know, and I think that's, I think that's part of it. That has to be part of it, at least. Yeah. Because we are a broken people in need of a savior. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As, uh, as Michael Gormley, I think, said, hmm. uh, we are, we are a broken people and McCarrick is our song. <laughs> oh, gosh. Yes. 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 It needs context. It needs yes, a lot yes, of context. Yes. <laughs> I haven't heard this, so I need the context. Uh, no, he was just being sarcastic, but yeah. Ooh, Actually, it might have been sarcastic. Luke. It might have been Luke who said that. It's, it's probably Luke. it's probably both of them. It, it, and that was especially <laughs> evident during the summer of scandal. Oh yeah, in 2018. Yeah. It, 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 the aftermath of that is yeah. just 
<laughs> true, true. I feel like I feel like the the title for this podcast needs to change and be like Trump and intellectual dishonesty, or or the importance of intellectual honesty because i i feel like that's really the heart of it you know something around that yeah yeah anyway billy it's been fantastic chatting with you and uh hanging out outside of the context of uh, dungeons and dragons which by the way has been a great a great experience with you (laughs) thank you so much and you know uh, i want to end with just this comment that Again, I want to reiterate what I was saying earlier that my goal is is not to just attack Republicans or seem like I'm defending Democrats, but to represent what the church teaches. And with St. Teresa of Avila, I'm going to say, like, if anything I should say that is not in conformity with the Holy Roman Catholic Church, it will be through ignorance and not mm-hmm. through malice. And if it is not in perfect conformity with the church, you are free to reject it and correct me in fraternal admonition because mm-hmm. I need it. Right. Right. And, and, and like we said before, like we don't have a dog in this fight with regards to American politics. Um, really the heart of this conversation was to just get at the importance of let's be honest in this, in these conversations as Catholics, because it can be a scandal to those outside who do know the full picture looking in at us and seeing people with their blinders up and yeah, the kind of the kind of optics that creates uh, for us as yes. as faithful Catholics, I think, mm-hmm. is problematic. So, yeah, let's take our time to think and prayerfully discern what our action ought to be in the public sphere as faithful Catholic citizens. Right. Before we let you go, tell us where is OK Catholics? Because we haven't seen a video in ever. Where is it? We've been waiting. So, <laughs> the fans want to know. <laughs> um, so, OK Catholics is on hiatus right now in terms of a, a video series. Uh, Becky and I needed a break. We needed to step mm-hmm. back. Uh, and a lot of it is I, I realized I couldn't go the direction I want to with some of my videos, especially on this topic. I'm talking about politics. I'm discussing this. Because I don't know that YouTube as a social medium could facilitate that kind of conversation. And I take my metrics from that by simply examining my most popular videos that have tens of thousands of views. And those are response <laughs> videos to evangelical conspiracy theories yeah, about Brian. how the church... Brian. Yeah, yeah, basically. <laughs> how, how the church is basically Satan. Yeah, And so if I can't engage in good faith arguments about that with something that is so easy to verify and have source documents to point to that are authoritative that say, hey, this is what the church officially teaches. And people still say, no, you're the whore of Babylon. You're clearly a cult. You clearly worship Satan. There's absolutely no way I can have a nuanced conversation about politics and Catholicism in any shape or form. So, I, I needed a break, and until I get some other divine inspiration, we will we will be on break. But you can find us on Instagram, where we occasionally upload, and we'll put up posts that are hopefully not too sarcastic. <laughs> <laughs> 
No, your your posts are great, and uh, like I said, like that's what that's what sparked this whole conversation was was Instagram. So make sure that you uh, you dear friends and listeners of the podcast, if you're Instagram uh, people, check out OK Catholics uh, on Instagram. It's really good. So awesome. So besides that, like, what else you got going on? Are you are you working on some design work? Do you got anything in the works that way that you're you've got for even even you know, not from your own personal stuff yeah you know a lot of creative flow for me has has gone into dungeons and dragons nice so i'm so grateful to have you know mike as our beloved dm and to <laughs> to meet with you and julie and and brooke it's just it that in itself is such a blessing for me because that that creative outlet is just something i was lacking very much in my mm. life I am also a part of another campaign here in the States where I am the DM and I'm completely rewriting a story, like a, a standard module that Wizards of the Coast puts out. So um, every week I'm editing and writing a whole new story to fit in. And that is fulfilling me so much creatively <laughs> right now. And that's a beautiful group I have. I'm with my brother, I'm with a priest, and I'm with another buddy from Franciscan. So nice. it's it's very cool. And one of my former teens who is now an adult. Wow. You know, so it's it's very cool to have these connections and to be social. Yeah. That's awesome. That's sweet. That's sweet. So uh yeah. Well, I guess we'll we'll end the podcast here. So um for uh, anybody who uh, wants to get connected with us, we'd love for you to hang out with us on uh, our social media. You can find us at Theology of the Buddy, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Uh, you can also subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts. We also are on YouTube. Shout out to our, I think, 10 subscribers now on <laughs> YouTube. Um, but uh, yeah, and yeah, we we really appreciate uh, everybody taking a chance, uh, uh, taking the time to listen and uh, and hanging out with us tonight. So follow us online. Check out OK Catholics on Instagram. And uh, yeah, come back next Wednesday when we'll be doing the liturgical breakdown yeah yeah okay it'll be the next the next installment so it'll be great it'll be glorious uh, yeah <laughs> even though it is lent we're gonna talk about the gloria yeah <laughs> even though it's cut from the liturgy currently yeah true yeah. so all right well as always stay tready, tready.